This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 118, where we're looking at The Defenders, season 1, episode 6, Ashes to Ashes. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, fellow Defenders. It is I, Chris, and once again, I have control of your earbuds and the podcast. This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 118, and we are talking about the ever-so-lovely, the ever-so-fantastic Ashes to Ashes, which is The Defenders Season 1, Episode 6, in case you don't know. As I said, I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. I have control of your arms and legs this evening. And I'm your final host, Derek, and I have control of the edit, so some of that may not make the final cut. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, we had a very special episode for the last two episodes, four and five, we were all in the same room, and now we're all in different countries. <laughs> yeah, it's kind true. of it's kind of a big split. It's like we're now not only podcasting and having our listeners far around the world, but our fellow defender Podcast hosts are in mm-hmm. different parts of the world. Yeah, quite cool. My God, time zones are crazy. That's all I'm Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, we're both quite far and so close because we are always coming back together, especially now, to give you our review on The Defenders Episode 6, guys, because it oh so is good and what an ending. But before we get into that, let's jump straight in to what this podcast is, how we cover it, and of course, how people can get in contact. So, you of course can come over and join our Facebook group and follow our page on facebook.com forward slash group forward slash Defenders TV Podcast because we want you, the fellow Defenders, to join us in conversations and tell us your thoughts, your feedback, your loves, your hates on everything the Defenders. Absolutely. Come on and down and join us. Exactly. And yes, Secret Empire just finished the excellent Marvel books. Come on over and talk about that over in the Facebook group as well. Uh, and if you want to send us any voicemails, you can go through our website over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Record a voicemail about your thoughts about any of the episodes. If you finish the series, you can leave us your thoughts by voicemail over there as well. And of course, if you want to send your emails, you can send them over to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. So... Quick question to my co-hosts. Mm-hmm. Why was this called Ashes to Ashes? Ashes to Ashes, I think it's out of um, Ring a Ring a Rosie, uh, the children's rhyme, uh, when it's not said in the UK. I think in the UK it's usually a tissue, a tissue. Uh, but when it's done in uh, in foreign countries, in, in Europe, uh, it's usually ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And I think there's a moment in this episode where every one of the defenders is knocked to the floor by one punch from Iron Fist to Luke Cage. So I think this is the ashes to ashes we all fall down. So it's not because it was smoking hot. <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> I was going for ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Like in a funeral rite. I get you, I get you. Could like be it's the end of someone's particular... Anyway, I'm not going to get onto that point. But before we get into the episode details, of course, this is Defenders TV Podcast. And you can... Subscribe to us, of course, so you make sure we get every episode at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes or go find us on any good or evil podcast catcher around the world, be that a hand or cast slash chaste affiliated podcast catcher. 
So guys, now that we have all the, the rigmarole out of the way, the, the, the good stuff where they can find us, let's jump straight in to our spoiler-filled review. So mm-hmm. fair warning, this is very spoiler-filled. Derek, can you give us the details of this episode? Yes, some really surprising details this time that I didn't know because nobody told me before the show aired. Uh, the episode was written by Drew Goddard with Marco Ramirez. Why do we know Drew Goddard? This is kind of the surprising return for, for Drew Goddard. He created the character of Daredevil for Netflix from the Marvel books. He's the first person involved in Daredevil. He sold the, the idea to Netflix. But he's never returned to the character since episode one and two of season one. Uh, he's never He's been always written up as an executive producer for the show, but he's never written for the character since. Uh, so this is his first writing credit since all the way back from the start. Cool to get him back on board here. Um, and working with Marco Ramirez, who's been on every episode so far this season. Yeah, really cool, actually. Um, and a great, great episode by him and Absolutely. Marco Ramirez as well. Yeah. I uh, love this. Could talk about it all day. We and will. We, will. we will. But actually, the interesting thing was, I will say, you can feel his influence in a fantastic way on this episode. He brings yeah. some, he should say, he strings in some amazing finesse that you would have seen in Daredevil episode one and two. In the overarching story of Daredevil season one, which is that kind of the gritty realism of Matt and his... We'll get into it, but his kind of his character flaws and promises at the top. Right, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to talking about it, definitely. Um, this episode was directed by Stephen Sergic. Always excited when we see Stephen Sergic appear on the show. He's done three episodes of Daredevil, two on Jessica Jones, one on Luke Cage, and one on Iron Fist. He's confirmed for an episode of The Punisher coming up. So he's been involved in every single Netflix show so far. But, as he did mention quite recently in an interview, um, he's not going to get an episode of Jessica Jones Season 2. There is a great reason for that. Every episode is going to be directed by a female director because the show is very female-centric. They've made a really good decision to bring in female directors for the show. So, unfortunately, he's not. He's going to just break the chain now um, for Jessica Jones Season 2. But he should be back for Luke Cage Season 2. So that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. He is kind of the lucky charm for all of the uh, all of the defenders. I can say that because I'm Irish. Um, so he has been doing every single one of the shows. But uh, that is the one that he's not going to be involved in. But I'm still really excited about him. And always great to see his, uh, his directing touches uh, in the episodes for the defenders. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Now realising that the hand wants the iron fist as a key to unlock something... The group decides to hide Danny Rand away while they continue the fight. However, Danny disagrees and attacks the others. They stop him and tie him up with Luke Cage and Stick watching over him, while Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock continue the investigation of the architect of Midland Circle. The Black Sky begins to regain memories of her previous life as Electra Natchez, but Alexandra insists that she is not that person anymore. Meanwhile, the other leaders of the Hand learn of Sawande's death and continue to lose faith in Alexandra's leadership. Madame Jessica learn that there is something beneath Midland Circle, a hole to which Daredevil had come across previously when dealing with the Hand. They return to the group with plans of attacking the building to find Stick attempting to murder Danny Rand to keep the Hand from using him. They are interrupted by the Black Sky who kills Stick and takes Danny. Alexandra gloats to the other leaders about this victory, but is murdered herself by Black Sky, who proclaims that she is Electra Naturus and claims leadership of the Hand. Minus two fingers. Wow, what an episode, guys. 
And what Absolutely an ending. Wow. Yeah, that was fantastic. I think someone in our Facebook group referred to this as they did a cotton mouth on Alexandra. <laughs> yeah. It was David Wang. Yeah, just did not expect this at all. Um, but I did think she was, um, I did think she was over gloating to the hand. So I thought somebody was going to take her out. Yeah, <laughs> well, country. Murakami tried and then True. was put in his place, I suppose. True. I had bets on Madame Gao to become the yeah. main finger of the hand. Oh, yeah. No, she's the thumb. Yeah. We've had this conversation as well. We have. <laughs> she's the opposable thumb without the hand. We, we have. Uh, which, without the thumb, the hand would not operate. That's exactly. The, that's what I meant to say. So, guys, what an episode. And let's get into it straight away. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, we will take the top five points, what we consider the top five biggest moments that stood out to us in this episode and break them down point by point, part by part, Mm -hmm. all the way down to its crusty goodness. So let's jump on to point one. Now, of course, that ending that John just talked about in the synopsis is our last point. So you're going to have to wait all the way through for our thoughts on the ending of the episode. But let's kick off with what we got, which was Fight Club. Danny versus the Defenders. I know, this could be the name of its own series, really, couldn't it? It really could, (laughs) Danny versus the Defenders. To quote Madonna, I am the lock and you are the key. Danny is the key. Yeah. That's a deep cut. It is a deep cut. That's another. The first is the deepest. Okay, let's (laughs) get away. Let's get away from the musical Uh, (laughs) Yes, moving away from female solo artists. Yeah, because they all find out that Danny is the key to what the hands seek. And that... You know, there is some lock here. And I think, uh, you know, Jessica is there going, I just thought it was a metaphor. But, you know, Stick is convinced here from what Swande uh, was was saying before he had um, his head chopped off by Stick himself, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, it was literal and that Danny is there to um, to open uh, the door that is implied by, by Danny being the key. Sponsored by Yale Locks. Um, <laughs> and I, I think an, another really interesting thing we get here is definitely uh, from Stick, um, who talks about, you know, the Chi and the Iron Fist has been known um, for, for other purposes, for sealing things shut and obviously then for opening things yeah. as well. Uh, we know it heals as well as uh, packing a punch, uh, like we see slightly later on as well. But that... It's a it's a it's a nice little moment where all of a sudden uh, the defenders really kind of they don't turn on Danny, but they they realize that he's the one that needs to be kept uh, out of sight uh, and away from the hand I'm so uh, glad, against his will. Yeah, I'm so glad we got the fight scene here because the scene itself is quite a difficult one. It's it's really just exposition because we know it as the audience. We heard Alexandra say this to Gao three episodes ago that Danny's the key and he's the one that's going to be used to break down this this doorway underneath Midland Circle, where we, we now believe that it is. Um, so it's a difficult scene to have because effectively Stick is just doing exposition that we've already heard. So I'm so glad it ended off in a fight, which is one of the best fights we've seen this season. Yeah, I'll agree on the fight part. It was a fantastic fight. I found this difficult for another reason, which is mm-hmm. they're treating Danny as a junior character in that he's... Mm-hmm. He's young. He's he's young at the game. He's not 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 calling him 
young in regards to the he actually probably is the youngest maybe we don't know his age in comparison to the rest of the guys but he is just his mentality his go get it's like he's not thinking about the bigger picture and while he was the one kind of trying to bring them all together to fight the hand he's not listening to the group he's not listening to reason and i found that hard there because the character is acting irrationally i saw why they're trying to i know what they were trying to do but i can see critics fans alike who did not like Iron Fist, the series, pulling mm. at this point, probably going, well, look, he's just a, this silly little Iron Fist character, this Daddy Rand, he's so young, he flies off the handle. I would agree with that. I think um, they push that a bit too much, just yeah. to almost say that he knows nothing, um, and yet he knows an awful lot about Kunlun and so on. And I think... The reverse side of that as well is, yeah, it, it seems strange that it, it actually descended as quickly. It, it felt like a, a school playground sort of ganging up, really. And I, I it was almost that was the intention that they, they wanted to make Danny feel threatened uh, and for him to go defensive. But in the same way, they're not listening to him as yeah. well. Because um, remember, John, which is an, all out of calm. Yeah, which is kind of... Uh, another aspect which kind of, you know, I suppose you can only take so far because he he has, along with Daredevil, the most experience of the hand and this whole mystical universe um, and that's that, that they're trying point. to deal with. Yeah, that's absolutely his point. That's absolutely Danny's point. He's saying that he was brought up in a society that taught him everything about the hand. Jessica Jones is walking in not knowing anything about them. Luke Cage is not knowing anything about them. And from Danny's point of view, what does he know that Matt knows about them? He doesn't really. He knows that Matt's had a battle with them once or twice, but he certainly doesn't have the training that Danny has. And that's why he feels so threatened here. Um, but I know what you're saying, Chris. I think I think this is one of those bits that gets pulled at um, by critics a lot, which is uh, why is Danny so up against this? Because effectively he's lived his entire life. I wonder the other thing, if they're trying to get across in the show about Danny, is that the reason why he's such a good Iron Fist is because he is so... Uh, he flips to anger quite quickly. So if he relaxes that and channels it into the chi, that's why he's such a powerful Iron Fist. I wonder if that's something they're trying to get over with the show. He's a zealot. Like, in pretty much like the, the term of the word, He, you have two opposing... Religion is too strong of a word, but you have the Kung Lung, the, the beliefs. beliefs, yes. So he he's, his beliefs are being challenged. And yeah, if you... If you push people's beliefs and challenge them, their beliefs, it becomes you do descend into this point of anger. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean he he's like he is like stick um, in that sense. He he has a singular vision and focus um, to the extent that stick does really, um, and obviously more so than the others. Definitely, I I, I would agree. I think um, that's where it's coming from, and I think that's why. I would have expected Stick and Danny to team up, but then I suppose as things progress in this episode, you can see that also Stick is quite an independent operator, oh, yes. even though um, he's a member of the Chaste. He's, I presume, has also sworn to protect Kun Lun um, as well. But yeah, I would agree that there's certainly an element of being a zealot or very strong belief here in, in Danny, definitely. Now, mm-hmm. before we get into the fight, because I do want to discuss that, which because it was amazing. 
there's there's one bit here, and I'm going to remind myself when we get to episode eight, but the pacing difference is a lot shorter than what we're used to. And it's a lot shorter to what I, I feel the directors and writers of the previous Defenders, uh, their solo outings, are used to. So they compacted quite a lot. And I get the feeling if they had given us two more episodes, um, so if you had ten instead of eight, they could have delved into this. You you didn't need to go directly from Danny, you are the key, to Danny flipping out and then moving to the fight. So I'm reserving judgment. I just get the feeling from this episode that the pacing is speeding up quite a lot. We've got we're down mm-hmm. to two episodes post the end of this till the finale. So I think it's something we'll need to see. But I'm wondering, is the pacing hampering some of the storytelling here? But again, look, we'll bring it back up towards the end of actually episode eight when we're kind of doing our end of series thoughts. And I do think, as as you say, I do think if that's the case, it's a pity that of all of the characters getting the short shrift at Danny Rand, because he's the one that seems to kind of need a bit more of exactly. a for people to be on his side. You know, he's the one that got the whole gang together and told them all, why don't we fight side by side? And then he's sidelined by, by Stick in this episode. She, again, from the character point of view, you can totally understand the frustration. He thought, right, great, I'm going to have some allies on my side going to battle the hand. And then he sidelined immediately and told, no, no, we're going to tie you up and stick you in a shed, basically. Yeah. Uh, you're out of this fight. Uh, either that or we're going to take your head off with a, with a, <laughs> a knife, you know? Um, that's, that's not too, not great choices when you think you're the one that's supposed to protect your city from the hand. It's a sad position, I feel, that they, they needed to do this, but it led to a beautiful comic book moment of all things, oh, yes. which was oh, just brilliant. hero on hero action. It's like civil war all over again. The guys, mm-hmm. we got the fight. What did you think? I, I loved it. I, I mean, I, I really just liked the Iron Fist getting powered up. And again, um, poor old Luke uh, at the forefront of it. But just how um, it he's knocked off his feet and kind of the pressure wave from hitting his unbreakable skin and knocking everyone else off their feet. And I really liked how it affected Matt's um, senses. I loved the kind of the high pitch that goes when the, the camera focuses on him. Um, and I, I do, just quickly to come back, this is where I kind of felt that Danny could have escaped because, you know, Matt kind of has been flawed and I presume Stick has because of yeah. the, sh- the the shockwave. Um, and you really get that, that, that sense Luke has been knocked for six. Jessica has been knocked off her feet. Uh, but it seems to have affected Danny just as much. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I'm kind of wondering, maybe he could, you know, again, if this had been a 10 episode, he could have escaped here. And there could have been sort of that episode where they're tracking him down um, and things are kind of resolved or rectified or something like that. But um yeah, the shockwave was um, was just so cool. Um, Can I speak science to the scientist? Because the scene is supposed to be saying it's the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. So both of them have to have the same amount of impact on them, right? No, absolutely. You know, I, I get that. I, like, I get that it's going to affect Danny. But I, I do think that, um, like, it was Matt who kind of grabs him by the foot. And I think of any of them he would have been most disorientated because of the effect on right. his senses. Um, and then, like, there is a moment where Danny is fighting Matt, where 
they, they switch places. So Danny is actually on the other side of Matt where he wants to go to escape uh-huh. and could have just gone <laughs> and, and pegged it out of the theatre or, yeah. or the, the space that they were in. But the fight was was, was really good. To, uh, to see that was just fantastic. Yeah, I loved some of the movements in the fight. Firstly, I love that it's Danny and Matt that kick it off because neither of them will back down. I like that that, that makes total sense to both of those characters, Jessica and, and Luke are kind of staying out of it. Uh, Jessica, Larry, Luke first becomes... The, uh, the kind of muscle that steps in to help Matt out because he realizes how powerful Danny is. And then Jessica comes in just to calm the boys down. But Danny makes the mistake of touching Jessica, grabs her by the shoulder, and then gets thrown to the floor by Jessica. So again, just showing the powers of each one of these characters. And Jessica once again showing that she is a very strong character, which she wants to be. She's the one that throws the knockout punch on Danny, isn't it? Yeah. As well, yeah. But she also picks him up and throws him to the floor when he touches her arm <laughs> for stepping in the way, which is quite cool. Uh, love that she that she does that. I I love this. Just that it was. I think I've talked about this nearly every episode now. Where every time we see Matt fight, he's become so much more acrobatic. It's a daredevil mm-hmm. I have in my head from the comic books. It's the acrobatic swinging, jumping, leaping, twisting, kicking. Um, Daredevil, and that he like the one of the first ones he does is this kind of forward flip kick, almost. Yes, that was just beautiful. I was like, yes, that's Very what because cool. he has the whole thing about his senses being equilibrium. He's able to run on a tight rope, swing from swing as well as Spider Man to a degree. I was like, yes, uh-huh. this is the man. This is the the Daredevil I know and love. Um, and yeah, no the. The knockout punch, Jessica is now becoming, and we've discussed it again, I'm kind of referencing a lot of our previous podcasts. Derek, you brought it up is in terms of Jessica doesn't have any training, so she doesn't fully know her strength, etc. So you can see mm-hmm. as she gets pissed off, basically, the more she gets annoyed, the stronger she almost gets. <laughs> yeah, it's almost a whole. Yeah, it's almost. It's a degree, like you do not mess with this woman, especially if you took her brandy or whiskey, my God, help you. Oh, oh yeah, she'd be like Father yeah. Jack from Father yeah. Ted. <laughs> so then, of course, we had the battle, but we have Stick in the background being ever so quiet until Danny is knocked out. And then what we're this kind of next scene where they're talking about they tying up Danny and we get this slipknot, which I thought was just terrible character from Suicide Squad, but I was wrong. It actually <laughs> is a real knot. Who knew? Um, yeah. That was that awesome tying up scene. It was. It it was. But more importantly, we get the amazing line from Luke. Why don't you tell me again about how you punched a dragon? Oh, I was just... I absolutely... Yeah. I I love this scene as Luke is watching over Danny Rand where they're they're having this chat and then he kind of sees Danny's face when he tells him, "Uh, I was joking. (laughs) Of course, I don't want to hear about the bloody thing again. He sees Danny's face (laughs) drop and then he goes, actually, but sure, why not? Why not tell me? It's a really, it was a really a molten heart, and then Danny says, "Yeah," and he goes, "You know what? I'd face a dragon any day over Jessica Jones." <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's it's really nice. You just get the sense of where, like, Danny probably feels the betrayal most of all. Where he talks to to Luke about how me and you, Luke Cage and the Iron Fist, out there on the front lines. Like, it, he really sees uh, Luke as a partner here. I don't think Luke quite, kind of quite gets him or or gets that at the moment but um i i really like that i also liked the um 
the apple core in in the plaster as well. That's yeah. um, It was a really weird touch. I was like looking at it, going, "Okay, that's attention to detail from set dressing." If ever I saw one, I put it there. It's like one of the builders left it there, and they went, "Oh, keep it in. That'll be hilarious. Everybody will be questioning what this means in the background." <laughs> Very cool. Um, but yeah, we do obviously get the big betrayal of Stick here as well, where he decides there is a third option for Danny. So the two options right now are either run or stand and fight, right? Um, and he finds the third option, which is kill the uh, kill the Iron Fist, kill Danny Rand, and he's takes out Luke Cage. Uh, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago, where the idea of having the mystical versus Luke Cage is something that happens in the comic books a bit because of his his partnership with Iron Fist. So it's great to see this taken into the show. We've had uh, Luke Cage in all of his series. It was basically he was dodging bullets. That's That was the whole series of, of Luke Cage. That's the only thing that he went up against and a missile launcher. Um, but this time, seeing him up against something mystical, taking him out is very interesting. Yeah, as uh, a stick goes, uh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, knocks Luke Cage out flat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like this was really cool. I because Stick is awesome. I love how ruthless he is. Um, that you know his strategic brain, his fighting brain. Um, you know he he's been at war for so long, and first and foremost, it's okay. I'm here to protect the Iron Fist, or but it's also everything about the Iron Fist and Kong Lun, and he realises we can just kill him. Yeah. And then the hand cannot win. Um, I, I just thought that was really ruthless, um, how he, he did that. I think it also, uh, not to bring it to Game of Thrones uh, all the time, but it really shows the danger of this group now being split up as well. Um, because if, if, if Matt was there, if, if Jessica was there, I mean, then Stick would have probably found it harder to do, um, maybe. Um, and obviously later on, the fact that, uh, when Electra returns to this place, she's only up against, um, Stick makes it easier for, for her, at least yeah. initially. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, you know, the, the, the split pack. Uh, wolf pack um, will will not survive. Can I ask a comic book Iron Fist question? If you might know the answer to it. So, how does the mantle of the Iron Fist pass if there's an Iron Fist killed? So, it seems like, for example, we heard Swanda go, "You're the stupidest Iron Fist." Yes, when he was talking about Danny Rand going, "What the Iron Fist, not you," to Danny. Uh, now we see that Stick is willing to chop off the head of Danny to kill him. So it's not Danny Rand, it's the Iron Fist that the Hand want. What happens? How does this pass on to the next Iron Fist? If if Stick had killed Danny, does that mean that somebody else has to defeat the dragon yes, to get the power yeah, back? Is that yeah, the it is. And and they have to go through that rite of passage. Cool. Yeah. Because Shao the Undying is undying in the sense that whilst the, the dragon is killed, in order for the Iron Fist to get the symbol and to obtain the chi and the the dragon is reborn and he's reborn so that the cycle continues it, of, of the immortal iron fist so the hand so if danny had died here the hand would have had to effectively challenge share led the undying to get the power that's in the iron fist basically well not entirely like i think they would be able to somehow siphon it off and we're not necessarily sure whether this substance that the hand refers to is 
the chi as we know it in Danny Rand. Right. Um, but it, it's a substance and it could be some kind of sort of residual aspect of, of the chi uh, once they have killed the Iron Fist or drained him of it. Um, but obviously the killer of the Iron Fist who strikes uh, normally every 33 years, um, when he kills the Iron Fist, he obtains power. But it's right. how you you're using that and it's the manner I suppose in which you have obtained the chi um, because the whole point of the Immortal Iron Fist Protector of Conlon is that it is obtained uh, in a sort of face-to-face battle with the dragon so if you're not the Iron Fist you won't get it but they're taking it through a different means. I get you. Yeah. I get you. That's, that's cool. So in some ways it might be corrupted as an example mm-hmm. um, and is more dark substance rather than bright yellow chi. Okay, so two points of this. One, I think it's his blood. The reason I'm saying that is because when Alexandra is talking about using the substance to bring back Black Sky, mm-hmm. we know that Black Sky was brought back in an urn full of blood. Right? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. maybe being the Iron Fist imbues your blood with chi whatever and that is the substance because we don't know what they did to when they escaped from Klum Lung when they ran yeah. away it is highly possible that they drained killed and drained the iron fist of that time took his blood with them with their substance that keeps them alive and mm-hmm. then yeah. kind of continued because we've heard Gao say things along the lines of kind of like was a guy I killed Iron Fist better than you? I've worked with both. One, someone has said they've killed Iron other Iron Fists. Gower said she's killed many. Yes, she's met many. She's met many over met. the years. Is what okay, said. well, we're assuming that potentially she has killed some as well. That is the substance they need: the Iron Fists, chi infused blood. But I, I think they use blood as part of the process. Um, now, whether the chi, you could argue, is is contained within his blood so it makes his blood extra special or whether it's something that's diffused throughout his body and like it's this entire hand i suppose that lights up yellow um with with the chi it's not just kind of the veins and the arteries although you know i I mean like what i mean is yeah his blood probably contains it so that's why his blood will be important yeah but all the children in Daredevil season two who were being drained of blood, presumably to bring Nobu back to life. Um, we saw that at B- Bakuto's dojo as well uh, and uh, his compound. So I think they need blood as part of that okay. process of bringing it back. Um, whether the substance is something different from blood, I don't know. Um, or whether it's that because the Iron Fist's blood contains the chi uh, and the mystical power, maybe that's why it's his blood and it contains that substance. But judging by how the scene plays out, we're definitely going to find out next episode. Pretty much. Effectively, Elektra arriving, um, taking out Stick, killing Stick, if if I got that right. that's uh, That looks like the death of Stick there. She, uh, oh, she definitely. right through the heart there. We, she takes uh, Iron Fist over her shoulder after... Knocking out Matt yep. and Jessica. Yep. Um, we do see, because I did ask the question about have we seen uh, Luke versus Swords before? We hadn't seen it before. We do see in the fight between um, 
Electra and Luke that she hits him a couple of times with a sword with some sparks yeah. she's made. So, so well done, Stephen Sergic, for actually putting that into the episode. He's like, almost like he listened and then went and filmed it and yeah. added it in at a later point. Yeah, when we yeah. recorded three weeks after the episode. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I want to get on to, because I, I kind of want to move on to our second point, but um, I just want to end on the usage of Stick and the death of Stick. Mm. So the whole reason Stick does knock out Luke is because he thinks the only way is to kill the Iron Fist. This goes yeah. against, in my head, what the, the final remaining member of the chase... Of, like, he is the army of Kung Lung. They were the army of Kung Lung set to defend yes. and work with the Iron Fist. That does not strike me. So this kind of graded on me. Very important, though, Chris, distinction there. You've said to defend and work alongside the Iron Fist. That's not their mission. Their mission is to protect Kung Lun. That's the same mission as the Iron yeah. Fist. But his feeling by Stick being a couple of hundred years old, it sounds like when he has his conversation with Alexandra as well, she calls him old friend. So he's been around the block quite a few times as well. Um, it feels like his mission is now to protect Kung Lun and he feels the best way to do that is by killing Danny Rand. Um, the Iron Fist, as we, as we just talked about, the Iron Fist will continue but Danny Rand may not have to and that could take him out of the way of the hand so so it's it's a, it's a definitely a stick move yeah. once again but um but yeah I think it's I think it's Stick's choice as being the last member of the chase to make this decision as what's best for Cumberland survival I agree it was definitely a stick move no I just I don't know it kind of graded on me because I pretty much I was sure okay I'm remembering it wrong but this is just because we think so much because uh, we watched them and then record. The way I thought it was that Stick had said that they were an army to be led by the Iron Fist. And I kind of just like, it's almost like killing your general to save your country. And that's kind of, I was mm-hmm. like, oh. Mm. But we get the beautiful scene and the death, and we are then taken to, like, Electra knocking the shit out of everyone and mm-hmm. literally jumping out a window, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And there's definitely some power there behind her. Um, Luke, okay, he's still kind of slightly dazed, but like he gets up and she she knocks him out with her foot to to the head. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica's the well. same. Jessica is knocked across the room by a kick, by one yeah. kick from her. Yeah. Electra really seemed to sort of turn her power setting up to eleven here. Um, I thought I thought it was really cool, but as well, I loved the moment where um, Matt comes back into the room for sure. She's there with the sword hovering over, uh, over stick and she, she recognizes him and she, she mouths his name, you know. There is nothing better than Electronatios saying Matthew. There's nothing better. There's that moment of recognition and that is the one that breaks her. She then becomes Electra again, that moment when she sees him and knows exactly who she is. Let's get on to the next point. Yes, I think we shall. So. The fractured hand, the broken hand, the splinted hand, mm-hmm. if you want to go yeah. like that. The mangled, the mangled hand. hand. Definitely yeah. broken here, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, um, I love the fact that Gao and Alexandra's scene uh, where Alexandra's popping about a million pills um, 
Is that only in the States where you don't take two paracetamol or whatever opiate that she's taking for the pain? Um, it's certainly in movie pain treatment. Yeah. And if everybody pop pills like the way movie characters do, they'd all be dead. Like, they'd all have severe liver trauma. I would be thinking that Alexandra needs to, to worry about her liver exploding for yeah. something from uh, the amount of pills uh, that she's taking there but I, I think um, I don't think she does now like again I'm just going to wallow and, and bask in the glory of Gao I think her scene here with Alexandra and how that contrasts with earlier in this season where she's on the park bench where actually Gao is being someone who Alexandra can bounce and, and, and talk to and discuss about sort of how that the hand is becoming quite brittle here. Um, and I, I really like the idea that, you know, this is all coming from um, sort of some exposition that had pinpointed Gao as a previous um, member of the hand who had done an assassination attempt on Alexandra yep. to supplant her. Um, you know, when Alexandra's talking about... Um, the hand has not always been harmonious. Um, but I, I love how Gao goes here. The past is the past. Um, and then comes in to, to, to really confide in her about what the other members are, are thinking. But then on the way out, um, and well, then in fact, she even offers an alternative way forward for Alexandra to consider. But then yeah. on the way out, I presume it's like any boardroom meeting. And um, as she passes Murakami, um, she obviously has had some previous uh, conversations with, with him and she just says, you were right. To me, this is evil Yoda Gao playing the game of Thrones uh, <laughs> within within the hand. I, I just absolutely thought she was great here. And again, we have the Alexandra uh, being reflected back in a mirror. I know mm -hmm. we had a comment on Facebook about that, you know, saying the reality of who she is um is someone downing i don't know about 30 pills um in the mirror uh where she herself is someone quite proud yeah. um and confident when when you see her Absolutely. And I do love getting the scene. I have to say one of the best moments she's had this season so far. Uh, but I also love the sheepish look that she gives when uh, when Alexandra proclaims somebody across the room uh, did have an assassination attempt on her. It just It's just the way Gao's head fall, falls kind of going, she's talking about me. Hopefully the spotlight will be off me in a second. Um, you know, that kind of, that kind of uh, innocent child or guilty child caught in, caught in a lie kind of look. It's a really cool little look from, from Gao. Um, but we also have Murakami's attempt on... Uh, on Alexandra's life while she eats. Um, that's a really interesting scene as well. We have uh, we have him walking in while she's having one of her other infamous meals. I would love to find these chefs that she's found. It's like an episode of Chef's Table every week where <laughs> she's going around to the various different uh, beautiful places to eat the best food they have on offer. And he walks in with a bottle of, uh, of ancient wine that hasn't been seen for 200 years that he's picked up at the bottom of the ocean, you know. Um, really interesting scene between the two of them where he, he is giving her respect while telling her that he's about to kill her. Um, yeah, I thought he had poisoned her at one moment where he kind of says, I wanted your last meal to be um, memorable or, or something. And I, I was convinced that either he'd poisoned the food or the champagne was poisoned. But right. I think at that stage, 
She, didn't, she hadn't drank it. That's yeah. right. She lifts up her glass of her bottle of beer or a glass of beer that she's drinking, yeah. which I, I thought that was a nice touch. And now that you say that, that's probably why she's doing it. She's kind of saying, I don't really care about your irreplaceable bottle of champagne. Yeah. I've got my, I've got my, uh, my beer here. And then dessert was brought in by Electra. Mm-hmm. Guys, yeah. Gao, for me, will always surpass Murakami and his attempts. Like, just, oh, like, it is like, you said the evil Yoda, John. It's just it's, she's like I just wanted to see her on someone's back, like out of Empire Strikes Back, just kind <laughs> of like running around a training course. Enough has said about that. I, I can't. I'll just be kind of commenting over exactly what you guys said and kind of duplicating mm. it. But what I am really kind of the bits I want to quickly to my point to focus in on is, as you said, the the fact that the fingers, the hand, have always come together around. Uh, behind Alexandra, which I found really interesting. The fact that they've had this fracturing before, but they've always come back together. And I thought it was like, I expected this to be literally as the Elector arrives with the, her present. I was like, oh, okay, now so like this was all the, the exposition. This was like how they all don't really like each other, but they're villains working together for a common goal. And you get that they've come towards the common goal. Uh, but then the Murakami, I was like, ooh, fight, 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 yeah. fight. I was like, that's what I was, I was like, she's going to flip the table. And we've heard how bad Murakami is when he's like stalking the bear. Um, we get we get yep. that kind of backstory, and we talked about the fact that he he doesn't walk in with an army when he's going up the, up against the defenders. So this guy kicks ass yep. all on his own. Uh, yeah. And I was expecting, okay, this is where we're going to get to see why. Alexandra was the guiding force of the hand. She was. Mm-hmm. I was like, she's going to flip the table and they were going to have a stunt double in for Sigourney Weaver and she's just going to like tear him to shreds but leave him alone with like a sword kind of or something against his neck going, do you surrender and submit? I was just like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I was like... Chris, just... Just one thing, Sigourney Weaver does not need no stunt double. It's true. <laughs> she's Damn. badass enough at her own. Yeah, but she's, where is she going to find a mechanized forklift at that time of night true. in New York in, in House's Kitchen? I did love, there's an interview with Marco Ramirez recently released where he said he was trying to work in the line, get away from her, you bitch, throughout the entire season, but couldn't work out a way to get it into the into Oh, the that would have been amazing. Uh, <laughs> that would have been cool, yeah. But I, I definitely agree with you, Chris. Like we saw her sort of briefly fight the the newly reincarnated Electra, um, but it would have been so good to have seen or have gotten a glimpse of what Alexandra's skill and power was yeah. here, especially given what comes later. You know, but um, she actually calls it out and says it, and that's what's the most frustrating part. She says it to Murakami. She says to him, you've come alone to fight me? What's wrong yeah. with you? You know, uh, And it is that moment where I was absolutely thinking, yeah, totally agree with you, Chris. I was think, thinking, this is the moment. This is why we're going to see why she's the leader. It's not just because she's manipulative and strong and smart, because... Hey, that could be that could be Gao, that could be any of them. It's because she also has some form of power that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's powers combined. Nice. It's Gao's power along with Murakami's power, along with being confident and calculating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it was a shame that they didn't um and I think all the more so given 
what happens. And I think it's within that context for me yeah. that it's only at the end of the episode that you kind of think, okay, we'll never get to see exactly what her, like, her powers uh, and skills are here. Yeah, because the, the attempt on Murakami, by Murakami, is ended because Electra arrives with the Iron Fist. Yeah, with dessert. Yes. <laughs> okay, so let's jump on, because uh, Electra does arrive, but we are given her past, if you will. We like uh-huh. we get this be- which a flashback which took me a second to understand that it was a flashback. Why is she on the couch now? That's really weird. She was just on the bed. Again, it kind of brings that loving, touching moment we saw at the end of the last episode. That kind of her curled on the bed, and it was beautiful. Someone over in the Facebook group even called out. It was just a, just a touching imagery of having this kind of the black sky, the deadliest weapon kind of feeling emotional and vulnerable and having her there. But it was just for me, this was great. Like, again, we get to see why Elektra and Matt Murdoch are the Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Um, And what I'm, what I'm getting at is the, the, the connection, the love, the, the, the relationship is eternal. Like it's kind of no matter be that they are, dead or alive or reborn or whatever they always <laughs> kind of remember that love and thing you you understand where i'm trying to get to sweet it's sweet yeah, exactly. yeah sweet zombie love <laughs> that just really threw me we then get kind of like what that is considered the happier times but then we also get electra at a grave yeah happy times it's imagine I, I supposedly like you. She is this young child reborn because we get that kind of imagery from the previous episodes where she's still trying to remember who she is. She she feels yeah. it is almost like a rebirth. She is a, a she is was not Electra Natios before this point, but now she finds her grave. She starts to recall and remember her past life. What do you guys think of this kind of arcing story? I thought it was really poignant, actually. I I loved how she remembers uh, and starts to recall her past life, has that kind of dream or flashback um, while she's curled up on bed, um, on Matt's bed. You know, she sees the the Daredevil Act suit and armour in in his chest. uh, And then when she comes into that room, how, you know, she, she goes there immediately to find that it's no longer the... But then she finds another clue that leads her on to, to the graveyard. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really enjoyed that. I think the great thing about this, um, it's, it's the same a bit with, uh, Alexandra Murakami is that it becomes more powerful by the end of the episode, given what we're going to talk about in point five and what happens there. And I suppose I'll, I'll talk about it then really, uh, for, for me. That, you know, you see her recalling happy times. You see her recalling those intimate moments with Matt. But then you see her at her own grave, which must like shock the bejesus out of anyone. But I do love where the fact that she, she meets Alexandra there. And I love the fact that in the middle of a graveyard that they talk about that they will serve life itself. Um, I think that's a really interesting kind of contrast between the, that, that, 
that mantra of the hand uh, and where they happen to be at that moment. And just that shot that's there directly afterwards, which is just the sea of graves in this New York City graveyard. You know, yeah. is, you know, New York City's filled with millions of people. So the graveyard that's there must be gigantic. You know, Again, it harks back to that, um, that comment from Luke Cage at the Royal Dragon where he says, the people who talk a lot of, about life... Um, there's certainly a lot of killing involved in yeah. your organization. And again, it's that kind of contrast, I think, here, given that they themselves have both been resurrected as well. I just love how Electra really just begins to recall and remember who she is and her past life. I think it's it's nice moments away from the defenders uh, for me, uh, seeing Electra here. And even where she, you know, with swords, high above Stick's chest about to sort of run him through that there's that moment where she she mentions uh, Matt Murdock's name and, um, you know, there's almost a smile there, you know, um, for Matt, not because she's about to run Stick through, I think. But I, I think it makes it really interesting as to what she does at the end, all of this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also love the fact that she finds her, her mask card and that's what leads her to the grave. Uh, it gives the, the verse that Matt chooses. If you don't know mask cards, just because in case I always forget, I'm a Catholic, so uh, I do know the mask card a tradition, effectively choosing a, a passage from the Bible. Um, the, the passage that Matt has chosen is about wiping away the tears and letting, and letting her go, which is something that Matt could never do. So a nice little passage there if you caught it, uh, for, for Matt. And again, kind of signifying that their joint relationship, Matt and Matt and Electra. Speaking of which, our next point is about Matt and a bit about his history as well. So, um, so Matt and JJ go off on a mission together, uh, which is quite cool. Um, love these two characters side by side. They're really, they're really fun together. There's something kind of cool about them. And I love that JJ's learned all about Matt and all about his past and uses it as a strength here uh, with the daughter of the architect over uh, that, that built Midland Circle. Um, I love hearing her version of Matt's story and why he is who he is. Uh, and I think Matt's kind of surprised that she takes that kind of, she takes that side about what he, why he does what he does as well. I think that's, uh, but it's lovely to see these two. Yeah, I, this was the team up I didn't know I wanted. Like I knew I wanted the heroes for hire. I wanted really? I wanted Luke Cage and Danny and that blossoming friendship, bromance, whatever you want to call it. That that fraternal love that they will always have, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. But this was a team up I didn't think I wanted. Well we as soon as we got it, Jessica's no nonsense, kick ass, take take no shit attitude with Matt self loathing at the moment. I was like, This is fantastic. She's ripping the piss out of him, and he has to take it. Like the the way that she she does call out his history, his past, and he's like, he kind of tries to go back to her and kind of like, how do you go all this? And she goes, I'm I'm an investigator. I I make it my job to know who I'm walking around with, kind of. But yeah, like that was fantastic. I would like to see this in comic book form, if you will. Like I want to see an investigation where it's the, the private eye. And the lawyer comes together and then fights the supervillain at night as yeah. Daredevil and Jessica Jones in her jewel outfit, if you will. <laughs> not going to ever happen. That's not going to happen, definitely. But they have have got a good history together in the comic books, Daredevil and, and uh, Jessica. They know each other very well because of particularly where they, where they operate, you know. But yes, nothing better than a PI 
and a lawyer working together. Uh, and they work, you know, they're, they're not wearing their costumes here. Uh, well, Jessica's always wearing her costume. Uh, they're not wearing their costumes here, but, uh, but they do um, work really well together when they're interrogating Lexi, kind of interrogating. Um, yeah. Some lovely touches in this scene. Though. Yeah, no, like I completely agree uh, with you, Chris. Um, this to me was a great team up. Um, I, I think, yeah, the, the, the phrase, um, like after they've come out and Jessica has, has spoken about Matt and his relationship with his father and the situation that happened. Um, you know, Jessica kind of turns to him and said, you took my case. So I, I took on yours mm-hmm. sort of investigating, uh, into him and, and his backstory. Um, and I really like that. And I think as well, it came from uh, a whole situation back within that theater or, or wherever they're um turning against uh, danny were at the same time jessica and, and luke i think as well react really strongly to hearing about matt's previous relationship uh with a with a lecturer yeah um matt's getting quite defensive here but jessica really kind of starts to open him up i think um here i think as well jessica's line to him where he uh she goes my past isn't actively trying to get us yeah. killed. Um, I thought was really just a nice one-liner uh, from her, you know. And also, they find out that Electra and Matt were together um, at the big hole uh, underneath uh, Midland Circle as well. Yeah. So, you know, there was a bit more of Matt's secrets that came out here. Um, and you know, whilst initially they were a bit pissed with it, certainly Jessica, I, I thought that moment where they were kind of walking to Alexi's whilst they were sort of talking to her, uh, finding the plans in the piano. I, I really liked that. I definitely agree with you, Chris. Um, it was a great team up. A lovely little touch I liked in this scene is Matt playing on the piano. I think I'm right here and I asked John when I was watching the episode, I think he's playing the Daredevil theme tune on the piano. Yeah, okay, so it wasn't just me. No, definitely not. No, no, I I, I was wondering whether it was the Defenders theme because I kind of caught a bit of that from it, but maybe that's part of the Daredevil theme interwoven into the Defenders, you know, or something along those lines. But yeah, it's certainly one of the two. Yeah, It would make sense for it to be Daredevil. If you had your own theme tune written about you, you'd be walking down the street whistling it and playing it on every instrument you find. Okay. <laughs> I do. It's called the A-Team. <laughs> I'm on the run from the uh, military police for a crime I didn't commit. <laughs> That's why we've moved countries. I, I just have, uh, if any of our fellow defenders listen to fam- or watch Family Guy, it's I basically have the men with um, saxophones and trumpets just walking behind me. Nice. <laughs> That's basically the fat man joke of myself. Derek's is the Benny Hill theme tune. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. If anyone is good at video editing, any of our fellow defenders, please overlay some of our some of our podcasts with the Benny Hill TV show <laughs> and theme, and then like the video. It would be amazing. All right, guys. So let's let's move on to probably the point that we all have been. Slightly dancing around and not dancing around. We we talked everything else. The biggest part of this episode, in my opinion, Electra kills Alexandra. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's the big size uh, after the exhaling of breath from from Alexandra. Yeah, I did not see this coming. No, I didn't. I really didn't. And then, in hindsight kind of connecting some of the dots throughout the episode, I was like, 
okay, maybe she was going to do that. So the thing is, though, as well, um, I think I put this on uh, the Facebook group. I did actually laugh as well because it was kind of the stirring speech to the other members of the hand saying, look, you doubted me and I got it right. We have the iron fist that, you know, you will follow me. I am your leader. All of that. And I've loved her so much. And I'm going, yeah, go on, Alexandra, you tell them. <laughs> and then she just gets uh, the size uh, in the back from Electra. And yeah. I, there, there was a little bit of hysterical laughter from, from me. A, from shock, and B, from just, it was just Poignant. when it was, de- yeah, it was when it was delivered as Alexandra seems to be on a high. And you're like, okay, that's really one way to uh, tear down uh, the leadership uh, and replace it. Like, you know, total and utter humiliation for Alexandra. Absolutely. And importantly here, because I watched this episode three times, I think since the last time we recorded the podcast, and I keep forgetting, because it's the last scene of the episode, I keep forgetting that not only is she stabbed by the size in the back, but Electra does turn around and take her head as well. Yep. Well, she stabs her in the neck and takes her head. So Alexandra's not coming back from this. This isn't a, this isn't like the death of Harold Meacham in, in Iron Fist, where he got killed by his son and then came back from the dead in an episode later. Uh, we don't have the time left in the show for that anyway. But yeah, Electra's finished her off. As you say, John, connecting the dots over the episode, there's a couple of things that led to this death at the hands of, of Electra. Definitely at the graveyard. Alexandra says a few things to uh, Electra which lead her to kill her. She says, you're not Electra, that was Electra, you won't be that person. Um, yes, you're yeah. not this person anymore. Exactly, which is probably red rag to a bull as, yeah. as Electra has realised who she is and had that moment of happiness uh, in the memory of, of her and Matthew. There's also the reason why she goes at her at this particular moment, which I think is really well judged in the scene. It's effectively, you see Electra standing in the background um, of Alexandra where she says, kill Luke Cage, kill Jessica Jones, kill the devil of Hell's Kitchen, whatever his name is. And it's at the moment where she says, kill the devil of Hell's Kitchen, whatever the name is, that she walks out of the room, gets her size, kills him and kills her and goes, his name's Matthew. It's that connection between her and Matthew that makes her kill Alexandra. Absolutely. But she also then as well follows it up with, and my name is Electra Natchez which goes back to the graveyard scene. Yes. Uh, Even though she's directing it to uh, the other members of the hand who she then says, you work for me now. I think also the fact that in the graveyard as well, Alexandra does kind of expose her frailty and the fact that she is dying anyway to uh, Electra as well. And that, you know, without the substance that, uh, you know, Danny has just been taken away to, to have drained from him, that, you know, she will die. It, it, it really yeah. um, is also probably there for a lecture saying, you know, this woman is is sort of the in, in her autumn um, and, and is going to, to die anyway. The what body is giving up. Yeah, so like that probably didn't help. But just to come back as well on the, the thing I was saying under Electra remembering and who she was, you know, and for me, that was all really hugely kind of like, oh, like nice. Yeah, certainly in Matt's apartment, um, you know, so even though Electra is remembering who she is, she's recognizing Matthew, she's recognizing herself, um, you know, and there's certainly a moment, at least for, for Matt, maybe who's thinking that, 
um, he's able to bring her back, she nonetheless embraces the dark side uh, that is within her to go on to lead the hand. Despite all that knowledge that she has about her past life, this new life that she has seems to be the one that um, certainly in this moment she is willing to embrace uh, above her, her previous life. Even though Electra from season two of Daredevil, you know, she had her dark side there and that's probably why that maybe this also just wins out on, on, on everything. Yeah. That she has had this um, darkness within her anyway. Uh, but I, I, I loved that and I think that's what makes her flashbacks and, and memories throughout this episode even more kind of interesting. I was kind of shocked that they went ahead and did this. So in the comic books, so because I know some of our listeners are not kind of don't, don't read the comics as religiously as say some of us do, there is a storyline where Electric runs the hand. There's also a storyline where Daredevil runs the hand. So I didn't think they would actually go and take this route. I was completely shocked. I thought that this was going to be the redemption story arc of Elektra being resurrected. She does bad things. She becomes good towards the end. I thought that was the storyline they were going to do. No, mm. they, this is where Elektra becomes the hand. She takes on yeah. the, the full army of evil ninjas. And I was like, wow, that was, it's a tough call. You're basically, it makes me question at the end of this, will Matt join the hand? Like, cause he, it, you have the Shadowland storyline where Matt does kind of become the, the, the head of the hand. So I'm like, does he kind of get brainwashed and joins Electra and together they are like, that is the ending of this. And we have them leading into his redemption story in, I don't know. I'm speculating here, but I didn't know they were going to go this way. I loved it. More importantly, I loved what they did. I was not expecting the death of Alexandra. This was an amazing character. It was an amazing actress doing it. That it was interesting. I wanted to know all about her. I wanted to know the history. I wanted to like tell me everything. I want to see it fight. So to kill her off like this, and I think one of you guys said it best. I feel slightly shortchanged. Like I feel that they 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 kind of they didn't they they cut this off early. Like they cut this character off early. They cut the storyline off early. They could have done more with it. Again, could be pacing, could be, they could be myriad of reasons for this. But I just felt we didn't know Sigourney Weaver well enough. I didn't mind Sawande kind of him. He's a lesser character. He wasn't someone I was deeply interested in. Yeah, maybe like one or two bits of exposition about him and his child armies. It would have been interesting. This was a key central figure from the very beginning, first, very first episode. I was expecting episode eight or after we'd see her in prison with the kingpin. That's that's kind of what I felt with you with them casting someone like Sigourney Weaver. You'd have her have a scene with Vincent D'Onofrio in that prison. It was that level of casting. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, I I would I agree with you, Chris. I I think um like I've really enjoyed Alexandra from her cool, calm, calculated side. It would have been really good to have seen her with some action certainly in 
in the restaurant with Murakami uh, earlier on. And I, I think that's where it feels that we've not seen all of Alexandra in all her glory. And she was about to get to that by telling the, the other members what's what. Um, yeah, I, I definitely feel that I wish she had lasted uh, a bit longer um, and we'd seen a bit more of her because I, I thought she was a really great character. Um, and certainly getting someone like Sigourney Weaver, you want to see her on screen uh, for, for more and for longer. Having said that, the twist was excellent as yeah. well. Um, really, really good. It was a proper Netflix ending. Yeah, definitely. The way I had envisioned this in my head was Alexandra becoming extra powerful. So her becoming, like, I don't know... Shella the Undying Part 2 where she's emboldened and she basically, we have a battle royale of Alexandra versus Luke Cage versus Danny Rand, the Iron Fist you have Matt Murdock and Jessica, all four of the defenders attacking Alexandra at the end, that was my episode 8, that was the finale, that's how I saw the big battle happening Right. so to have that, which I, I thought we were working up towards to have that, I was just... I, I suppose this is what we expect from... We should now expect from not just Netflix, but from the Marvel Netflix universe. Look at Cottonmouth in Luke Cage. They've done this switcheroo on us multiple times. And it's not a bad thing. We just don't expect it. They're weaving one way and we think they're going that. And then they suddenly zag to another way. And I'm yeah. like, this is good. And But putting it at the end of the episode... My God, I hate you, Netflix. Never more <laughs> have I was like, Derek will I know. know if I just watch like five minutes of the next episode. He I told notice. you I he always know. I know. It's almost like you're watching me watch it. But anyway, gents, I think that's all our points covered. So do we have any notes? A couple of little notes from the episode. Uh, one of the cool things I loved at the start of the episode, uh, Alexandra sitting listening to the gramophone with the really old record skipping on it. Uh, firstly, the fact that the record's skipping and she takes it off, looks at it, it's freezing. It's an indication that it it doesn't, it's not going to last much longer. It's something that has been around for centuries or a century and is about to break. It's also the fact that the overture that's being played is by Brahms. It's called the Tragic Overture. So an indication there to any music uh, listeners that something tragic is about to happen to Alexandra at the start of the episode. So nice little touches there. Yeah, no, that was a, a really cool scene and a great uh, little connection with the music to uh, what was to come. Mm-hmm. I also just wanted to note, I suppose, how big a move Sticks move is versus the hand. Um, the fact that he takes the head of Sawando, sticks it in a box and sends it back to the hand <laughs> while Luke's looking on and saying, I'm, I don't really want to know anything more about this. I'm going to, I think you're right. The less I know about this, the better, you know, um, stick does the kind of things that the Marvel heroes can't do. And I think that's going to be a great loss to the series. Now that we've lost Scott, Gang, Scott Glenn stick uh, to the show. He's always been an interesting character. He's always been done some really interesting things and sending the, the head back in a box to the bad guys is quite a cool. Group. Yeah. Like he's totally uncompromising and he's fantastic for it. So yeah, I, and I know what you mean. You can't really imagine Matt Murdock doing this. Not really. Not really. Unless he's gone full on crazy. Final note for the episode is Jessica and Luke finally reconnecting. They're carrying the body of Danny off after they've knocked him out. And Luke turns around to Jessica. 
carrying Danny over his shoulder goes, I can't believe this is what it took for us to meet back up. And saying to her, you know, uh, I'm really sorry. Why didn't you get in contact? And Jessica kind of goes, I'm not that kind of person. I never really keep in contact with people. And Luke knowingly looks at her and goes, I suppose so. And she goes, uh, well, you could have kept in contact too, you know. Um, it's a bit of reconnecting for the characters. You see they have more conversations about it between Danny and Luke later on. So for those people that are comic book fans and know how their relationship works out and how long they stay together in the comic books, there's a little bit of rekindling of that in The Defenders here, which I wasn't really expecting coming in when obviously Luke has come in with a relationship with Night Nurse, with Claire Temple. Yeah, I, I was expecting, I was kind of slightly shocked by that now. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I was like, ooh, will we have another Luke Cage and Jessica Jones or will we potentially have Jessica Jones and Luke Cage? Interesting. One quick point for myself, because um, I have a quick few ones. Will Stick return? Is Stick dead? Stick's head has not been taken off his body. True, very true. Could it be that he comes to the hand? Or, like, I, I'm kind of of the opinion now, anyone who is has not been beheaded has the potential for coming back. And anyone, yeah. if you are a big enough character, you have the potential for coming back. I totally agree with you, Chris. Nobody's gone until they're gone, gone, and they have yeah. a funeral. It would be nice if he did come back, but maybe maybe we'll get Stone. Yeah, potentially. But no, we don't even know if Stone is dead. We never saw that character in any of the bodies in this show. So potentially he still is alive. True, but we did talk about it a little bit in feedback last podcast where Stick had said that he was the final member of the, of the chase. So Stick knows Stone. He's the one that was in the scene with him. So... Unfortunately, I think Stone has been killed off screen. Oh, no. But, again, we never saw a body. We never saw a headless body. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of of the mark now. Like, we never know. Yeah. Again, the New York Bulletin is the number one uh, newspaper in the MCU. Uh No more Daily Bugle. Like, it has been... We know the Daily Bugle probably is there. Um, They probably will introduce it in Spider-Man Homecoming 2, whatever. But New York Bulletin... Luke Cage is sitting there reading it while he's uh, guarding Danny. That's right. That's ah, right. Yeah. Wasn't the wasn't the Daily Bugle now? That's the Fox News of the Marvel universe. But wasn't it now like a blog spot? Wasn't that something that was in the in the Spider Man Homecoming promotional material? I think it was in the promotional material, but yeah, it was never came into the film. So no. unless it's a Blu Ray extra, which I'm hoping is a kind of a, a Blu Ray deleted scene that we'll get we'll get a view on where. You see kind of a young Peter Parker looking at his antics on the Daily Bugle, which, wow, we got to be amazing. At some point now, they're either going to need to do it or not. Okay, boys. And on that note, I think it's time we wrap up this beautiful episode on episode six of The Defenders season one. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of The Defenders? Best episode of the series. Um, yeah, episode six is, it has everything. Um, the battle between the characters, which is what I wanted to see. The hand fracturing, having an amazing moment for Madame Gao, uh, having a great team up between Matt and Jessica, having Luke and Danny sitting, having a chat, getting to know each other. Fabulous. Great, great scenes. Definitely defend this episode. Great. So, John, do you defend this episode? Of the Defenders. Oh, I do defend this episode of the Defenders. Um, I would give this four and a half 
tied up Danny Rands in the presence of Luke Cage out of five. <laughs> yes, I love that loving uh, between the heroes for hire, even though um, uh, Danny was uh, restricted by a, 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 a knot that just got tighter every time he struggled. Stick having just that uncompromising nature that will be missed. Gao, ruthless, uh, manipulative, um, really, really cool here. Who's to say that she wasn't the orchestrator behind Murakami confronting uh, Alexandra? And I think as well then, Alexandra, in her moment of triumph, taken away from us by the size of Electra, despite all her uh, flashbacks, dreams, and her recall of her past life, she chooses ultimately to lead the hand. Like, I, I thought this was an excellent episode. Loads of talking points. Great twist. Two high-profile deaths here. Uh, the fracturing of Defenders. And I think most unexpected for, for myself as well. Yeah, seeing Jessica and Matt uh, together doing their investigative thing. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that. And, and I think so much of this episode had things that if you look back at the episode... Uh, Considering what happens at the end with Electra taking out Alexandra, um, it, it adds sort of new meanings to, to, to what's happened, um, for Electra in this episode and her interaction with, with Alexandra. So I thought it was very cool and a great episode of, of this series. So Chris, do you defend this episode of The Defenders? I do. I'm not even going to pretend and joke that I don't. This is, the culmination again of just why we love these characters, but more importantly, why we love these writers and directors. They are able to bring four threaded seasons in more, actually five if we count season two of Daredevil. Like they're able to drive and bring all together all of these characters, all of these bits. They're able to kill off effectively two main characters in this season and they are game of thronesing it as john said at the beginning i believe like this is you no one is safe and i think that's bringing a level of um attention i suppose into the final two episodes for me i want to know like could we lose foggy could we lose other characters who we consider are quite integral to the mythos that is each of these characters and their, their different seasons, their different sh series, if you will. I am slightly disappointed we've lost Sigourney Weaver, we've lost Alexandra. It mm -hmm. is a shame. I think it was a character taken in her prime in terms of a storytelling uh, motif, in terms of what we could learn. We can still learn about the character, but like what the character was capable of. Um, she has been beheaded, so she is gone. But yeah, I do feel that it potentially it was a, a death too far. Um, but I'm interested to see where it goes. We have two, two and a bit hours left of this season. Um, maybe less, I think, actually, based on the rolling times. Uh, and I want to see where this goes. I, I want to see, will we see the redemption arc of Electra? Is this all a big ploy? Is it not? She, is she actually evil? What is going to happen to Danny and his substance, quote unquote? So I, 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 there's no more defense 
that I can at this point. I want to just roll on. I want to get to the end of this podcast because you know what I'm doing? I'm going to watch the next episode straight after. Mm -hmm. So, boys, there we go. But before we kind of wrap up, I think it's time for some feedback. Absolutely. Uh, We have our first bit of uh, feedback through email. Uh, Remember, you can always send us feedback just go to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com and send us on your email. Um, but our first one comes from Kath. Um, she goes, hey guys, one of the best Jessica uh, moments for me was in episode six when she and Matt are visiting the architect's daughter and she stumbles to the piano. Her facial expressions are gold. Loved the series and definitely over too soon. Uh, She also sends um, a a few couple of lingering questions as well from some of the previous episodes. Um, In relation to episode four, um, she goes, how did Alexandra get into the restaurant, the the Royal Dragon? Uh, And uh, for episode five, Jessica knocks Murakami off the balcony when she finds Trish in the restaurant. Then we see a couple of relatively nonchalant waiters down there. Did he just disappear? Um, Thanks, Kath. Um, this is the reason why I put the poll into the Facebook group um, last week about is there a special power that we haven't seen from the hand where we've seen number of the resurrected member of the hand disappear. We also saw Electra disappear in the first episode when she got to the bottom of the stairs. So, um, so yeah, this was the reason why I put the poll in there. A resounding no, there is no, uh, there, this is just a, a, a trope that we see in comic books that people just disappear they are all trained by Batman, I think. Is what yes, the, that's what I was going to say. They were trained by Batman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, we don't know the answer as to how Alexander got into the restaurant. I don't think he ever will now. Uh, uh, the back entrance. Basically, yeah. And I think with Murakami, he's probably just flight of fancy. He's very fleet-footed. Because, yeah, I think those waiters are kind of like looking around as though they've spotted something go running past them, but... They didn't know whether they actually saw anything or not. I think it's more he's just um, fairly sprightly on his feet. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much for that feedback, Kath. Okay, and then moving swiftly on, because it is much like Mirakami, we are fancy-footed and fleet. Over on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, we obviously had some feedback from all of our fellow defenders, such as yourselves. So we had Claire Payne going, OMG, Emoticon, kind of that screaming, kind of shocked emoticon that shocked emoticon. Don't read the emoticon. <laughs> that was funny. I'll have to call you John from now on. <laughs> okay. Dare we say it, Claire was shocked at yes. that ending. Yes, so OMG, that ending. Claire, can't agree more. Jeff Childs chimed in and said, didn't see that coming. Yeah, just like Alexandra. Yeah, like pretty much. <laughs> uh, David Wang, for the best use of hashtag... So far this season, hashtag Cottonmouth Twist. Pretty sure yeah. that is a blues jazz song from somewhere. I think so. They did that in his club, I think. <laughs> Claire Payne went on to say, it was so impressive how Electra threw Danny over her shoulder, then went through the window. Great muscle stuff. Like, again, superhero landing. Painful on the calves and the ankles, but she did it. She did it well. She's really been pumping that iron. Definitely. Uh, Eddie Gonzalez Gonzalez says, best episode to date as well. And we had Tina Brown over on Facebook as well leave some feedback where she went on to say, great ending, but I thought this episode dragged a bit, to be honest. 
I get that they wanted the Matt, Jessica, Danny, Luke twosomes, but I thought it was a bit contrived that they would imprison Danny. And I thought the whole finding the plans in the piano and Jessica recapping the plot so far to Matt, so now we know that they're the hand, felt like padding. We know that the architect wanted to blow up the building, so why the big deal again? But I will always love the way Electra says Matthew, absolutely delicious, and I love Stick, but I get why he is expendable now that he's finally given us all the backstory he can. Well, yeah, uh, Tina, thank you so much for that feedback. I think we talked about the twosomes and the kind of, the kind of having to kind of split the parties a bit. We've also talked about how they imprisoned Danny, so I, I don't want to kind of tread ground, but I do get where you're coming from for the whole finding the plans in the piano. It is a trope, but it's a trope for a reason. And, and if you are a long time listener, you know how much I hate my TV tropes, but I have to give it to them. This one was gave us a chance to hear. Charlie Cox playing the piano and playing what we think is his own theme tune. Speaking of which, Ronaldo uh, came back on the Facebook group saying, being a pianist myself, I was ecstatic to see Matt take to the keys and then to hear him play the piano version of the Daredevil theme tune made my nice. So yes, it is the Daredevil theme tune. Well, hey, so that's another one we got right. Put it up on the board. <laughs> there's not many there, but there's that a, makes three. Yeah, <laughs> three after six seasons. It's, it's a, we're on a good stretch, I'm telling you. And I have to agree with Tina on this as well. The way that Electra Nasio says Matthew, I want someone to love me the the way that Electra loves saying the word Matthew. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and then from Robert Phillips, uh, he comes in. This should have been titled, a.k.a. Internal Combustion. What a story, the folding in on themselves of the adversarial gangs. Like in Origami, where you see, seem to lose the way only to unwrap a final fold and see the crane appear. Or in this case, a, a sigh-wielding super baddie Electra that took me completely by surprise. Looking back, it could perhaps have been presaged by six assassination attempt implying a further twist to balance it out. On a slightly different note, Madame Gao is still the best of the fingers of the hand. Who can deny the magnificence of the evil Yoda lady? <laughs> Click-clacking away from her deceitful meeting with Alexandra, absolutely. Was the scene topped by the tied-up intimacy of the Bromancers? Well, their chemistry is excellent, but not quite as good. Very much looking forward to the final two episodes following hearing your thoughts, folks. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, thanks for that. Definitely. Uh, yeah, the bromance was uh, was pretty risque uh, in this episode. Definitely. But it was really good. May have been interrupted by the Apple call. Yeah, it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, our final piece of feedback on Facebook comes from Cameron Stevens. He says, The following part of the five fingers of the hand was amazing. I loved it so much. And wow, it was great with Stick being a total ass. That actually came as a big surprise. And the Nacho sweeps the floor with them all. Speaking of big surprises, damn. I'm still really mad about how I feel they wasted Sigourney Weaver. But I'll give a great amount of credit for that twist. That's a good way to put it, really. Mad about the waste of Sigourney Weaver, but the twist is awesome. Yeah, yeah definitely. Shortchanged. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen her down that hole with the sort of mechanical arms of Ripley uh, there taking out some kind of, yeah, Mark II, Shao Lao, the Undying or something. Or maybe that's where they could have 
gotten in, get your hands off her, you know, you bitch. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I think we have a couple of voicemails to go on to, guys. We do. Yeah, remember, you can uh, send in any voicemail over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, just go to the right-hand side and click the Leave Voicemail Feedback tab. Hi, guys. This is Chris in New York. Love the podcast. I uh, just want to point out something which I don't think anyone's talked out, talked about yet um, is a storyline in, in the comic, The Defenders, which needless to say is very different from the show, uh, about the six-fingered hand. Uh, it's probably one of the most famous Defenders storyline. went on for several issues. Very different storyline uh, from this hand. That, that came up much later. The six-fingered hand was about six different demons. But it does seem to maybe be something they're trying to do to kind of link the two together since they've talked about the five fingers of the hand and there seems uh, there's the discussion between Sigourney Weaver and Electra about, you know, someone above them they may be serving, like who brought them back to life, you know, whatever that point was that was kind of mysterious uh, anyway, just thought I'd point that out a little bit of, like, deep geekdom but uh, keep uh, keep up the good work and uh, we'll be listening soon thanks, bye thank you so much, Chris, for that feedback yeah, that's a really interesting thought about the idea of this the person who was in the darkness bringing them back and, and maybe as you say, whether uh, that relates to some uh, of the older Defenders comic story arcs that uh, talk of sort of six members of the hand and so on, yeah. Yeah, but six demons in the comic book, that's really interesting. And I guess possibly this is something that they're referring to. They don't really call them demons. They're much more grounded in this show. But the characters have been alive for centuries, they're saying. So kind of could be demons. I can I can see where you, where you got the connection there, Chris. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thought. And I, I just wonder whether we will see or, or find out some more of this this person who was in there with them in the darkness, bringing them back and resurrecting them, definitely. I, I just like the fact that even in comic books, um, a hand, which typically has five fingers, typically has six in comic books. Okay. <laughs> we go with it. It's comic books. Yeah, there's usually six fingers to a hand. But thank you very much, Chris, for your feedback. Thanks so much for that feedback, Christopher. It's really good to hear from you on voicemail feedback. If you want to leave us voicemail feedback, just go over to the website at DefendersTVPodcast.com, click the send voicemail button and uh, record it there. Or you, of course, can follow along all things Defenders, Marvel, and anything else we decide to tweet about over on Twitter at DefendersCast. Or, why not, like, share, review the podcast for us. Tell your mates, share the love, tell your grannies, because I think grannies need to be watching the show. So, yes, of course, go to DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes and quickly give us a quick review and rating. Or go over to any good or evil podcast catcher and like and subscribe as much as you can the more that you subscribe the more that you like the more that you rate the more people can find our podcast and we'd be very appreciative definitely we need to raise an army of granny gals yes <laughs> it's all about the granny yoda gals uh, i think that's the end of the episodes we are finally at the end and means we can go watch episode seven so fellow defenders join us next time for our review of the defenders season one episode seven 
Fish in the Jailhouse, which will mm-hmm. be available through all Defenders or Hand Supporting Podcast platforms next week. And Derek, I think you found an interesting piece on here about the title of this episode. I just had to. Fish in the Jailhouse is such a weird name yeah, if you definitely. don't know what fish is. I only know this because of Prison Break. Uh, a fish is a new prisoner in prison. Usually someone unschooled in how prison works effectively, so they just call them fish. So I remember, Okay, yeah. I, I do remember that from my first season of, uh, of Prison Break. And do they escape and then get put back in prison to escape again? That's only over in Gotham, John. Oh, that's Arkham Asylum. Yes, absolutely. And Prison Break. But yeah. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next time. Yes, thank you very much, fellow Defenders, and we'll see you next episode. Yes, as always, a pleasure speaking with you, fellow Defenders, uh, and we will speak again next time. Remember, the past is the past. Bye. You think I'm holding back?